pass from Havili was magic. The shift on for Crotty. Boom, far down you go, Quackett Smith. Me, oh my, I haven't enjoyed that. Yes, boy. Sit back, relax, put your belt on, and enjoy the show. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Draft Rugby Show, where we discuss <laughs> fantasy rugby, the game they play online in heaven. Of course, tonight we are not discussing fantasy rugby. The game was very good. Um, it was perhaps a little bit of a fantasy lived out that the Wallabies did get the win. How good. Wallabies win to start the year in the test season. I'm joined here by my co-hosts, Harry and Nelson. Lads, just how good was it to watch the Wallabies running out and also to get the win? Nelson, how are you, mate, and how was it? Mate, look, I um, it, was a, it was a frustrating and emotional game, I think, on, on first watch and, and going through it because... We just bought into that hype going into the game, forgot that it was their first test in a long time with, with a few rookies around and, and, you know, rookie combination 9, 10, 12, 13. But we found a way to win and I think that was important. And, and because of that, over the last few days, I've got you know, happier and happier with what that outcome was. Excellent, mate. That's, uh, look, you're not saying it's not a cycle that happens every year that we uh, perhaps build up our wallabies before the first game every year about... Um, yeah, pretty, I'd say every week. Every, every week. <laughs> Harry, how about you, mate? How did you feel? I think you nailed it, mate. How good was it to see the wallabies run out mm. and to see the wallabies win? That was about how I felt the two highlights of the entire match were. <laughs> very, very excited in the lead-up and very excited when we won. Uh, my wife lost interest at about the 70th minute just when I thought we were coming good. And I, I thought it was a cracking finish to the game. I thought we were a bit lucky, to be honest, but cracking finish to the game. Uh, we'll, we'll delve into the middle stuff, I guess, as we're in the middle of the game as well. Okay. Speaking of that, say, you? before you get into that, mate, the three words that the summary is just never in doubt, right? That's, you know, there was oh, no yeah, point, for sure. There's no point where we're losing that game. I, I did feel, to be fair, I did feel all the way through that we had a good chance of coming back and winning the game. The, the French weren't doing too much that was really threatening us after that first 20 minutes. It was just a matter of us kind of, I guess, getting rid of some of those areas. And I, and I thought we did that pretty well as the game went on. Very good. Now, sorry, I did cut you off, mate. Um, you no had problem, some, mate. some great words for it. Well, look, uh, Harry was saying it was it was a little bit lucky or felt a little bit lucky. And, and there's been plenty of people around saying that it was a fluke. So in the words of uh, the officer's Kevin Malone, he said, a fluke is one of the most common fish in the sea. So if you go fishing for a fluke, chances are you might just catch one. And I think that summed us up, right? You know, we, we worked hard. We put ourselves in the position to get that fluke at the back end of that game. So for me, I'll take that fluke any day over, you know, having lots of errors and, and showing no heart. I think we, we got the wing with a lot of heart in the end. Absolutely. Look, it could just be the green and gold glasses on, but uh, it kind of feels like Maybe it's only because we can only rem- we always feel much stronger. We remember all the times we're on the other end of those uh, the end end of those games where the game gets snatched away from us in the you know five <laughs> minutes. So it did feel really good to get one in the bank. Uh, it was very it was our just our time for it. You know, it was it was very Queensland esque. You know, the Reds esque. But I put up on um, Twitter saying something along the lines of. You know, last year we would have found a way to lose that game and the instant reply was, no, we would have drawn it. And I think that, that's pretty true. <laughs> Classic, yes. Of course, three draws last year. Uh, yeah. was a was an interesting one. Um, all right, well, look, before we jump into the game, uh, the final score, 23-21. to 21, That penalty goal, uh, very difficult penalty goal from right in front um, at the end there. 
our tips for the game. Uh, I went first on the tips last week and I said that it was going to be a high-scoring, high-flying affair, two young, very skillful teams. I said 35 to 21, the Wallabies win and win by 14 points. Um, you got the French, right? Yeah. True. That's, look, you guys have to find a way to, to find a positive in everything. Just like <laughs> Nelson finding that quote, mate, you can make any argument about anything, Nelson, <laughs> go find a quote or a point of view from someone to uh, counteract that. But... Yeah, exactly. So, look, a little bit less points from the Wallabies, but had they cut out the mistakes, I'm sure they would have been up at 35-21. I got a bang on. So, it's really just, you know, a little bit of skill execution and I nailed that. So, yeah, um, wrong. Yep, 14 points. Well done. So, I believe you're the furthest away, Nelson, that you go with. Look, I said 23-33 and one of the teams got 23 points. So, I'll take that little win there. And, uh, yeah, a little bit better than Kagi. I said it was, it was going to be a 10-point difference. Right, and I went eight points, so I'll I'll go closest. I'll claim the victory, thirty-two to twenty-four. You, you went over, Harry. It's it's closest without going over. You went over, so we all lost. I think we're all delusional about how good the attack would would be from both sides. It was uh, it, it left a lot to be desired. Whereas the defense was, you know, except for patches, I thought was actually a lot better than I expected as well. Having said that, that's true, and it was the first test for the Wallabies. Uh, yes, there's a lot of. Talk about, you know, the French having played the Six Nations or whatnot. But look, I mean, there's a lot of young, new French players. So it was kind of a really a feeling out game for both teams. Um, and yeah, I think it was just incredibly important for the Wallabies to win their f- the first test of the year. Uh, and look, I think I think you guys had a lot to, of chat about the, uh, the viewing numbers. Uh, and it was really promising, just a lot of people tuning in. Whether that has to do with lockdown, whether that has to do with the new product on stand. Because, <coughs> uh, of course, this game on... I mean, it was, it's been free to wear Wallabies games before uh, in the last few years, but uh, it was pretty good viewing numbers, wasn't it? Yeah, and, and I would say whenever the viewing numbers are really good, the Wallabies don't play very well. So it would <laughs> actually be better if this week not many people tuned in, we can solidify the win and we can all come back for the third game, third test. Agreed. All right, well, how about we get into the talking points? Um, from this game, so just to, for the entree tonight, I should say, uh, I guess, yeah, we're not going to go through the game play by play, but, I mean, really for mine, it was that start, that Wallabies kind of just very nervous, error-ridden start um, that saw the French push out to 15-0 about 20 minutes in, and you kind of had this these feelings of, oh, no, here we go. Um, yeah, I mean, look, the first try, I think everyone has forgotten about um, some absolutely amazing skills on display by the French there. Absolute flair, a lot of fast moving, a lot of offloads. Um, it was really, really well played by them. Um, yeah, look, oh, that, that first try, it was off the back of a, a scrum from us, a scrum win in our own 22, and uh, it came off the boot of Harry Wilson and they scooped it up. And, I mean, we, we touched on it, you know, for the preview of last game, their captain, uh, Anthony Jelanche, he loves to throw an offload and he took it into contact, threw that offload around the corner and that's what created that space. Tom Wright uh, had a bit of a misread, thought he had to shoot in. Obviously, there was a lot of pressure there, so he shot in and he created that space out wide. For sure. Um, and Harry, what about that second try? Um, what do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, the less said about it, the better from the Australian defence point of view. Jake Gordon just completely misreading who was gonna, who he had to hit and just left the short ball as a gaping hole as he chased his opposition nine. I think it was it was very smart work from the French, I would say, and they identified <coughs> Gordon just been a little bit too keen 
uh, made a pretty big error. And then, and I was very confused after that. There was no chase from Tom Banks. He wasn't anywhere behind yeah. the line at all. I think he must have pushed up into the line or something, but they were a long way out. And so I, I thought he was a little bit too wide on the open side as well, but um, not, a, not a good look. Yeah. You're... Um... I think you're also leaving out and on that second take. I was wondering where Hooper was with Jake Gordon pushing so far across and Hooper was held into that scrum, was not allowed to break away. So if that did go up, I think that definitely would have been um, called a, a penalty and it would have been a Wallabies penalty. But um, Dylan Credden um, holding him in, being an absolute pest, being a Credden mate, that's that's in, in his name. Creton, actually... I hadn't thought of this till just then when you um, mentioned that. But one thing that I saw that I really liked was a bit of those, uh, bit of those dark arts, that gamesmanship that uh, we've always said the All Blacks have been fantastic at over the years. That, as you said, the holding a player in and things like that. And one thing I did notice uh, throughout the game was the Wallabies, particularly the props and the tight five, uh, being commissioned with holding players in the in the ruck in the breakdown, particularly when uh, the French would pack all the players in, do the caterpillar so that the halfback could kick. You'd see a prop or someone get in there, grab as many players as they could and, and then just hold them for as long as they could after the kick. And I saw it yeah. time and time again. I thought it was uh, it was interesting, but um, good to see yeah, the championship. Definitely lots of dark arts. But I think the one thing that I, I saw that highlighted the intent from the, the French side was, um, you know, their, their defensive coach is one of the most sought-after defensive coaches in the world, Sean Edwards. His ideology is basically shoot up with line speed and don't let the ball get to the outside backs. Basically saying whenever he watched John Loma, he goes, just don't let the boat, like, get the ball. Shoot up with the guys inside him because he's going to score when he touches it. And this is the, you know, the ideology that France took into this game, I think. And there was a lot of line speed, questionable at times, but they, they got away with it, pushing those boundaries which is something that a good side can do. But, I I mean, for me, that, that final line, Harry, do you want to take us through that? That was the highlight of that match for me. Yeah, I mean, you, you jumped across there. The um, the line speed was really good, and I think early on they got pinged a lot for it. You know, they said they got away with it. I don't think they did. I think they got penalised very heavily early in the game and then maybe got away with a little bit more later. Um, for the line out. I think, you know, Nelson, you said fishing for, for a fluke, wasn't it? Darcy Swain, Taniela Tupo and Tate McDermott, that's exactly what they were doing. Swain pressured the line-out, did very well to just kind of scramble the ball from the top. Taniela Tupo just chasing hard through the line to put pressure on the man trying to receive the ball to the point where he didn't feel like he could just kick it backwards. It was it was two it was two players that got horrified from him. The the reserve halfback, yeah. um, Irabaran or, or whatever his name is, and then Yamane, the, the fullback, both freaked out and just threw the ball away in fear. Ridiculous. And then I don't know what Tate McDermott was doing, but he was only there for the absolute scramble and hope, really. How he thought that that was a possibility was amazing. And I could not believe our luck when that came to an absolute highlight for the Wallabies. And don't get me wrong, the French shit the bed, if my French is correct. I think that's the phrase. And uh, and But i I, I got to say, props to the, the three Wallaby subs. I thought they were excellent to make this. Let's not leave out as well um, Angus Bell and Noss Lonigan. They, they both shot out of that line out as well. I think, uh, I think um, Bell was actually lifting and Noss was obviously throwing that line out. And when McDermott was left by himself there after shooting up like he did, they both were the first two to get there, a prop and a hooker, first two to get there to blow over that, which is pretty impressive for me. Yeah, no, it was, it was a French line-out, so that, that just to, 
yeah, no. So yeah, they, so uh, Bell's still lifting. I know, yeah, but Noss wasn't throwing it. But they, um, yeah, it was amazing. I mean, the bomb squad. We talked about him before the game, uh, how good. But I think, Harry, you nailed that. The urgency. Uh, why was, you know, Tate, the, it was like the game was lost and in years gone past, he, he doesn't run forward, push forward to try to get that ball. You know, it's like, oh, they've knocked the line out. They've got the ball back, game's over. But no, Tupo really getting in there and Tate coming through to get that. That was, I mean, that's what you want to see. That's test match footy there. And you should be playing with absolute urgency for every play until the game is finished. So I absolutely love that. And yeah, like we said, it was one of those times where we got the chocolates at the end of the day. So, um, and, and even I guess past that, managed to stay composed enough to keep the ball and keep hammering away at the line, even if it was a little kind of one-dimensional, the just pick and drive from side to side, not even going a man out or anything. But maybe that was what was called for because we couldn't afford to drop a ball, couldn't afford to push it past. So um, that was pretty good. Um, before we move on, should we move on to, oh, actually, I guess one thing you guys would, would be remiss if we didn't talk about the penalty count. So um, I think Harry was talking about the French getting pinged a lot early. Uh, the penalty count at, at the end of the game was six to the Wallabies, 14 to the French. And um, I think, look, I don't know. We'll have to ask the listeners, do we just have our green and gold glasses on or uh, where was the cheese, mate? Uh, they were warned many times. Boys, how do you feel about that? They, they were warned. I, I was saying they should have been warned two two penalties before they were warned. There was three or four in a row. Then eventually they got a warning and we scored a try off it. Then within 30 seconds, they got a penalty. And with a minute and a half after that, they got a penalty again. So making it, you know, six or seven in a row in the last like five minutes. And then it was half time. And basically straight off the kickoff, they ended up getting penalised again. And it was all forgotten about. So there was like seven, eight penalties within a very, very short period of time, all in a row without, you know, a card being seen. I thought that was ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, look, we say time and time again, what, what's the – so many teams, you've got the Crusaders, the All Blacks, so many good sides give away penalties on their own line because they know they can get away with it. What, how you can't possibly play like that as a referee, let the game flow like that, if you're going to try and ping someone and then not actually send someone off. You're just killing the game. Yeah, so the, the fact that it, the, the only thing I can think of is he's interpreted it as the try was scored, therefore we're not in the red zone and there's no such thing as cumulative penalties anymore. But you were warned for cumulative penalties. How, how can you possibly make that call? It just, it just didn't make any sense to me. And it was probably my biggest frustration with the refereeing. There were a couple of close calls that I feel like went against us, but when you go back and try and look at it objectively, I thought it was pretty pretty close and it was hard to complain. But that one I was pulling was my it. hair out. I, I was almost looking like Nelson at the end of that call. Yeah, that, that was it. That was the one thing for me that really frustrated me in the, in the refereeing of the game, to be fair. Other things were 50-50 and, and did go against us, but, yeah, that was the one main thing. It's like... Um... Yeah, I mean, I think the fact that you can give away so many penalties just before halftime and just count that it's going to be reset and it, it doesn't matter about after the half, it's a little bit crazy. It's, there's a few little, you know, things like that. Like, for example, when you, you've got a, a scrum and you're trying to drive over for a try, it's almost worth now, you know, deliberately knocking it on or whatever and not scoring the try off the back so that you get a penalty try awarded and they get a player carded. You know, these little parts yeah, of the it's, game, it's, you know... It's definitely it's it's a it's a funny one, but it's something that needs to be fixed. Fixed. Let's let's jump across Kagi. Uh, do do we want to start with you, mate? Who was your man of the match, and who was the best from the French side? That sounds good. Um, well, 
not my man of the match. I think we were just doing man of the Aussie, like player of the Aussie team and player of the hey, French well, team. I'm sure they won. We give them man of the match and then you go man of the French team. All right. Well, mine's very simple. Uh, you stole my player, so I stole Harry's. Uh, Michael Hooper, <laughs> captain of Australia, heart and soul, the first man ever to score a try with his ass. Um, <laughs> just the, was he his, his own shepherd? I'm sure he was his own shepherd. Look, he, yeah, you can't. I still don't know how I feel about it. It, it doesn't... Uh, I don't think it bodes well, and I think, you know, upon review, perhaps maybe that shouldn't have been a try. But, um, look, he's changing the game in 2021, new ways to score, back it up, twerk it in there, do what you got to do. Uh, it was unique. Innovation. It, was, it was definitely unique. I, I'm not sure if it was illegal. People were saying he was part of the ruck. I think he was actually fine with his feet behind the, the ball when he put his hands on the ball, but very strange. I, d- I don't think it's going to catch on. Yeah, I think I don't know if the rule is like one foot has to be behind the ball and the other one uh, can be when you pick it up. I don't know. But anyway, got the job done and that was a very important try. So for mine, Hoops, look, played the whole game out there. Um, it was interesting him talking before the match just about how he'd come back from Japan and had to really put some weight on, um, was was feeling the contact in training. And um, look, I mean, he looked good. He looked, he picked up right where he left off for mine. So definitely best Australian player. And of the French team, my player of the match for them was uh, Jonathan Dante, uh, the inside centre. He was fantastic, I thought. Um, he, I think he made something like, oh, I even wrote it down, 13 of 15 tackles. Uh, three, he only made three runs of 14 metres, but of those three runs, two tackle busts and an offload and two try assists. So every run he made absolutely counted. Um, <coughs> the one that I couldn't seem to find was just how many turnover penalties he got because he's kind of like a built like a, you know, a front rower. It's kind of like a bastard row. He just got over the ball. He definitely got at least two. I don't know if he got three turnover penalties um, by just jumping straight over the ball uh, when someone got isolated. So he was fantastic for mine and someone we're going to have to look out for. Yeah, he was, he was good. Um, for me, look, my man of the match was an Aussie, so I'll say man of the match, not man of the Australian team. Taniela Tupo, I just think his impact off the bench, he did his role to perfection. I, I do, do think Cooper was very good. I think Taniela Tupo just did his role perfectly. He was always coming off the bench, always supposed to add a bit of impact, not only at the scrum, which we really got a sentency when he came on, but he split the line, created a line, line break, had three tackle busts. I think he was just a really, really pivotal player in this one. Only given, you know, those 30 minutes or so. So there wasn't much more he could do, I think, on that field. So he, he was my man of the match. And the best the, friend. I, sorry. I, that's exactly what we said, didn't we, in our preview last week? We said the bomb squad coming on. I don't think the French are going to be able to handle that in the set piece and just that impact he's going to provide. And man, did he provide that. It was the first, I think the first thing he did when he came on was that scrum. He dismantled them. It was awesome. Yeah, it was, it was brilliant. I love to see it. The, the best Frenchie for me was Anthony Gelanche. He had 18 tackles, 12 ca- carries, four tackle busts, a couple offloads, including that one that's, you know, really was pivotal in that lead up to that first try. He was very, very good for mine, and I think he's going to be pivotal from that for them again this week from that number eight jersey. Yeah, f- phenomenal. And look, I to be honest with you, I, I think that you guys are both right as well. Hooper and Jalanch for me were the best two players in the park by a significant margin. Um, but look, I'll Captain's give a shout out to in the uh, 
in honor of the fact that we always go individuals. Shout out to Brandon Pangramosa. I thought with the exception of maybe one of his one or two of his late lineouts where his lineout throwing started to go a little bit awry, I thought he was very, very good. Uh, one of the best games we've seen from him in a while. And also Dylan Cretton as well. I thought he was awesome over the ball and really physical. So I thought he was excellent as well. So they're probably my oh. mind. A funny thing about um, Brandon Payne-Gamosa is probably less ball in hand, wider and, you know, in, in space and sort of running hard as he normally was. He only ran three three carries with zero metres gained. But I agree. I think it was a pretty good game for him. He was pretty physical, you know, involved in the breakdown, decent in the line-out, made seven from seven line-outs as well. So I, I think it was a pretty good game from him. He did not make seven from seven. Line I mean, out, so that's a seven, difference. seven tackles, seven from seven tackles. Right, okay, cool. Of course, um, just before, before we move, on, I was going to say, we've got um, some of the stats up on the screen. If you're joining us on YouTube, of course, you can get after us wherever you get your podcasts or uh, at Giraffe Rugby on YouTube. And please get in there and give us a follow, likes or whatever all those things are. Um, but yeah, uh, Harry, what were you going to say something about the French? Well, a huge one here, look, possession 64% to 66% to the Wallabies, 75% territory. We absolutely dominated that in both halves. So that was pretty huge. And I think on territory, there was a stat that came out after the game. The French didn't actually make it into the Wallabies 22 after the 20-minute mark. So the, the Wallabies definitely played far, far better as the game went on and really controlled the territory of the game. And the other stat for me was the Wallabies' defence... 70% tackle completion, 42 from 70 tackles. That was a big worry for me and something that we knew was an issue going coming out of Super Rugby Aotearoa and something that they said they worked on very, very hard in training. There's definitely some issues there that they still need to fix. Definitely. Um, an interesting thing for me since that first test, the French coach, Galfi, uh, has come out and Galfi. said, Galfi, said, Galfi's fine. Um, <laughs> I just don't I mean, like I mean, it. You, you guys get all the uh, Pacific Islander names but, uh, and the Argentinian names. We're getting all those. I think I'm getting the French names correct, but anyway. We'll, we'll give give it to you this time. I give it Doug a bone. But look, he said, let's not let's let's not forget that our starting vision for this tour was to discover talent, which I feel is a cop out. They couldn't, you know, take those first. You know, the teams. Well, players that decided not to come, they were playing the final, were only going to be available maybe for this third test. This was them trying to bring a team that they wanted to still be able to succeed. You do not want to lose games. You're not just trying to discover talent. I mean, it's, it's a weakened team, but I find that a cop-out of a quote. No coach, uh, I would never be happy with an Aussie coach coming out and saying that. Oh, mate, if you're, if you're the French or the English coach, uh, you feel like your job is on the line every game and there's never an excuse for losing. There's no <laughs> for building. Uh, the French public do not buy into that. Yeah, not at all, mate. He's, he's got the, the biggest professional base in any country in the world in, in rugby, plus he has an under-20 side that was dominant for a few years who he's brought into this team. They were not just trying to discover talent. Sure, they were giving guys chances. But I, I feel that's a cop-out for mine. Yeah, look, to, to round up the entree, I think what you're saying is he's setting them up to fade away French Yes. Style. So, yeah. f- fantastic. <clears throat> We're going to get with that smooth transition to the main course. With the main course, we have the Game 2 of Australia versus France played at Amy Park this time in Melbourne tomorrow night. <clears throat> so make sure you listen to the podcast right before kickoff, surely. 
It's going to be a chance of rain. I think morning rain to just make the field a little bit more dewy, but <laughs> maybe some rain in the evening and then 20 to 30 kilometre an hour winds. I think originally it was meant to be played in Newcastle, but they've moved it because of the Sydney lockdown. Is that right? No. Was that the first one? The first one was in Sydney. Right. First one was at the SCG. We were possibly going, but um, as we've already disclosed, some of our Queenslanders uh, brought COVID <laughs> and they wanted the game. So... Um, I was going to say, uh, the game down in – have I just forgotten my question that I had one second ago? That's amazing. Um, let's move on. Yes. Yeah, let's do it. Let's um, let's jump across into this Wallaby side. Harry, so amazingly talented. No, now he's changed it to France. Um, we'll, we'll go across into the French team. That was very smooth of you there, Harry. So the, – well, <laughs> Le Blues, there's, uh, there's three debuts this weekend for Le Blues. Uh, Fabian, what's the name? What's the surname, Kagi? Galtier. Galtier. Uh, he's kept an unchanged back line, but rejigged that forward pack. Um, didn't think that they, you know, were, were good enough, I suppose, for Australia. Or maybe he just wants to get more talent out there, like he was saying. Um, this is some good stuff you've got here on the screen, Harry. You've even highlighted who's the same from, from last week. This is some talent you've got there, mate. Yeah, mate, you make this graphic design look so hard. I pulled this all together in about 15 minutes before. <laughs> <laughs> PowerPoint's finest, right here. Look, so you can see, obviously, as Nelson said, no changes to the back line on the uh, starting all the reserves, but huge changes. We've actually got five changes to the starting forward pack. So if we roll through them, you've got... The at, at this Gross and Barlow are the same at one and two. You've got a new man, Hunk Patin. Hunk Patin, is that it? I, I can't believe I've nominated Hunk myself. Patin, yeah. Look, I'm not sure. Wilfred Hunk Patin, yes. uh, big boy, six foot three, 130 kgs getting brought in. Seems like that's getting brought in to, you know, trying to counter Taniel Tupo. Well, I think, yeah, it's funny. Like, they uh, they thought they were playing a bit of chess and, you know, they, they were moving Bamba to the bench because they thought Tupo would be on the bench. They're like, we'll bring on Bamba against Tubo, And then we've one-upped it. We've swapped it up. So they didn't see that coming, even though oh, they announced their lineup after us. But This uh, guy's even bigger, mate. This guy is bigger than Bamba. They've also got uh, Enzo Folletta, 120-kilo Montpellier prop on the bench to come on at Loosehead as well. So they've got some <coughs> units in their front row. Yeah, they don't want to repeat the mistake of the bomb squad last week. So they still know they, they didn't have enough in the tank for Angus Bell last week. So now they've brought four letter in to uh, try and tame that beast. I'm not sure. I was looking at his his games over with Montpellier. He seems to start maybe half the games. They seem to kind of take <coughs> their four pack a lot over there in Montpellier. So he, he's pretty, I think he's pretty inexperienced. I'm, I'm not sure he's going to be... Don't forget how many games they have in their season, you know, 20-odd-plus games. It's quite a large season with bigger squads. But they literally – he starts one in two, one in three games. Like mm. They really rotate through their front row. Yeah. Very odd. Well, we also have two new locks uh, starting this week. France has gone for the old tried-and-tested, proven four locks in the team lineup, in the team list. Um, just obviously a very well-known and well uh, well executed strategy. Um, no, it's, it, it'd be pretty close to, it's interesting that only one of the four locks, uh, young Pierre <coughs> Azago, um, who has been known to um, have a go. He has a go. Uh, no, apparently he's very, very good. 22 year old, 
Uh, he's the only one who kind of could also play back row. He's played a bit of back row uh, in the top league, uh, top 14 as well. But otherwise, yeah, they've got three massive locks. So it's interesting having four locks. I mean, clearly we know how they want to play with their 6-2 split. But when you put more back rowers in, what's the deal with this, Nels? What do you think? Oh, mate, look, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I think they're really trying to... Target the the line out, put a bit of pressure on Brendan Panga and Mosa. If if they can, you know, get a bit more dominance. We had a couple mistakes. I think lost two of our own on the weekend. If they can put a bit more pressure on us throughout the line out, I think that game's very different for them. Um, I think set piece is just is, is a massive thing for them in this one. They're going to really have to work hard in the scrums as well. So some bigger bodies around the park and bigger bodies on the bench. But Pierre Henri, the, the man you were just touching on, he. I mean, there, Coach Gaultier said that he is a discovery. And quoting him, he says he plays in the shadows. He is a worker, very active, who shows a lot of intelligence and doesn't play for himself. He can be another revelation on this tour. So that that's pretty big. I think they're, they're talking him up a lot as a young 22-year-old lock coming in who can sort of cover maybe back row as well. Hopefully yeah, he plays for the Wallabies this week. If he doesn't play for himself, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> yeah. He's uh, he's he's, he's 1.98 <clears throat> metres and 107 kegs. So obviously he's got, he can put some weight on and fill out that frame a bit more. But, yeah, they've talked about him as a bit of a Maro Itoje type player. So can fill a bit, a little bit taller, but can fill that um, lock or six role, I guess. So, yeah, excited to see how he goes. But um, still interesting having, yeah, three big locks. So, anyway, they're... Uh, it's, it's pretty cool to, to bring on their two starting locks from last week, bring on these two enormous blokes uh, yeah. to the other game. And wasn't Teo Fafanua a, a big unit as well? I think we got to see a little bit of just how destructive he could be as well. We did, we did. Um, I talked to enough about him last week, but was uh, um, equally excited to see his bomb squad roll this week. Um, sorry, actually, I'm not calling them the bomb squad. We're the bomb squad, okay? That's only the Wallabies bomb squad. Um, yeah, Nels, do you want to take us through the, the back rowers? Yeah, mate, I'll, we'll just jump straight across into that sixth jersey. Ibrahim Diallo, he's um, making his debut from Russing 92, six foot three, 108 kgs. And then we've got Cameron Wokey from Bordeaux, a similar style and structure to last week's number eight. Uh, Sekul Makalau, he comes in to, I think, really boost that line out. There's a lot of talk about him being a very good line out jumper in the back row. Um, so that he can put that pressure on Brennan Payne Mosa as we're touching on. And he's supposed to be very dynamic in the loose, um, getting involved, similar to what I suppose we expected from Anthony Geronch, you know, running around, throwing some offloads. So that, for me, that back three in the in the um, scrum looks pretty exciting. I figured it out. You, you apply the, um, the Islander, uh, like, O or OU sound on these names. It's Seku Makalu instead of Sekau Makalau, mate. But mate, I, I, I felt like I knew it, but I was going for it anyway. Look, I love it. No, but I agree. Um, Walkie was was great. I thought when he came on, uh, very similar player to to Makalu. Um, he made a few big hits when he came on. Didn't make many runs, but yeah, it was a force in the line out. Made a few big hits. So another big back row and Jalonch uh, at eight. You know, last week I said. Pooper's going to be having him for lunch. Um, no, mate, he was great, as we said. Probably the player from a French team and um, absolutely a fantastic ball runner. So um, <coughs> he'll, be, he'll be good for mate. And it should be said as well that uh, Waki and uh, Cyril Kazoo, one of the new locks, plays together over at Bordeaux as well. So if you're talking about Waki having an opportunity to make an impact at the line-out, he's at least got some combination there as well. So although it's a young team, they have been smart with how they're kind of constructing this pack. Yep. 
Absolutely. Um, anyone else? We've talked about the bench benches. Yeah, let's um, let's push through. But just to quickly highlight, did we learn anything in particular? Do you think guys out of the uh, the back line here? Um, I, I think Villiere, the uh, lock, uh, sorry, the lock, the, the left winger, <coughs> big wraps after the game. He obviously ran a really good line for that second try from the French. Mm. Um, we, we saw there exactly what we expected, their ability to counterattack and step. They're quite agile, sharp players on their feet. I don't think we learned a huge amount new, though, do you? Well, look, I don't think there was a great game for them getting involved in, in certain parts of this. Arthur Vincent didn't seem to have an impact that we we thought he would. He was that captain from the under-20s, led them to some great success. And, and Pernod, the, the winger, the, the right winger, we just did not see him be able to get injected into this game. So I think he's going to have to work hard, apparently, He's a, a very unique winger and that he just needs a licence to do whatever he feels like, yet he didn't seem to get himself involved in this one. Yeah, he just didn't get the ball much out of his way. But, no, I think for my, my big questions were around, and I just hadn't seen enough of them, but around Jonathan Dante and Vincent. And um, I thought they were great, particularly Dante. But, um, yeah, I thought these were huge shoes to fill with, you know, the likes of... Um, you know, Gael Fuku and uh, Varimi Vakatawa, I mentioned, some of those centres that are just fantastic. But these guys were really good. And I my, really liked Dante. One of my questions out of this was they didn't bring Boutier on, Anthony Boutier, who apparently had, you know, a very good Six Nations at fullback, instead leaving um, young, young Jamanet on at fullback. And he was the one that threw that kind of wild pass right at the end of that game. You know, there's been a bit of pressure heaped on him after that. But very strange that they didn't decide to bring on their more experienced fullback at any point in that game. Yeah, and it was after he made a few mistakes as well, Jamin. Eh? Like a few, you know, kicks off the side of the boots that put them under pressure. Um, interesting. I think I think he's a player they must see they really want to develop and just needs they see as needing more time in the saddle. But he he's the player, of course, that came from D2, had, had never played um, mm. in the top top 14 or, uh, or test footy. So... Oh, sorry, I uh, hadn't had much test footy. So, uh, Big step up. Yeah, anyway, it was, you're right. It was interesting not to bring on uh, Boutier, but uh, maybe this week. So. Yeah, that, that good in the six. I thought he was the reserve. Was, isn't Dulen there 15, or am I just looking at a single game? No, no, Boutier is their, um, their fullback reserve. Yeah, and so same, same as we said. Same. Right? Like he's not the normal starter, though. Dulen's their normal starter. Yes. Yeah, you know, he's in their, in their top team, yes. Yeah, Dulen, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, same same backs on the bench as well, in case we didn't mention that already. So, yeah, same back line altogether, just a whole bunch of new forwards out there. Well, this is uh, enough on that, French. So let's jump into this Wallaby side. Um, we're still looking at one potential debut, Len Ikatao. But the same... Get him on, mate. I, I agree. But the same game day 23 for the first time in consecutive tests since Dave Rennie took charge early last year. What do we think? Do we boys? Do we like the pick and stick idea, Harry? What, what do you think of this? Well, I think we all agreed that he was going to have to make some changes in the second or third test. We all thought the safer way to play would be to change up the second test, make yeah, sure you roll the dice with the third game, a decider if it does get to one all with your most experienced side. So he's taken a little bit of a risk by doing this. But having said that, there's some big positives there just to get some continuity in a team that is trying to find its way. And I, I think, you know, the last game really showed that that needs to happen. They, they played a lot better as the game went on. Every single quarter, I think they improved. I think we could all see that. So yeah. I can understand why he's done it. But 
God, I think we're in uh, we're in up the creek if we lose this game. We're going to have to make some big changes for game three. So I am um, in now at home. I, I think some changes are definitely coming for round three. By all reports, James O'Connor has been cleared medically fit for this match if he, if he wanted to play. But um, Rennie said he's underdone, in quotation marks, underdone, not ready for this one because he, he missed a few games at the back end of Super Rugby, came back through training, got injured again. So I think we're going to see this 9-10 combo of Tate and James O'Connor in the third test, give James O'Connor that little bit more time. And I quite like the idea of backing some of these players, giving them a chance to prove what we all expected from them a week ago. Um, the people that, you know, we, we expected to stand up a little bit more, like Gordon and, and players along those lines, are very good players, deserve this second chance. And, and hopefully this is going to be really good for their confidence. Kagi, is there anything else you wanted to add? Yeah, look, I think last week some pick and stick would be good. I think it would have been a bit of a knee-jerk reaction to just try and throw O'Connor back in, particularly if he's a little underdone. And so I like backing uh, Noel Lolaseo um, to, you know, I think that does goes a long way for his confidence. Similarly, I think um, Jake Gordon, look, didn't have a, a ripper by uh, anyone's accounts, but I, I think... There's been a lot of calls for everyone saying, oh, Tate's the best halfback in the country, get him on. I don't mind holding Tate back, bringing him off the bench. I think he probably is, you know, the most skillful halfback in the country, but I, I think... It's Hold on, the most nice. skillful halfback in the country? No, the most dynamic. Or has the most, yeah, the most dynamic with the highest ceiling of potential. He's not the most skillful, mate. He's, That's he's the biggest the... criticism on him. His kicking game and his passing aren't up to scratch. Yeah. I basically, I, I wanted to not say the word best and skillful was just what I thought of next. But, um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Going on. Um, not all right. No, I, think, I think Jake Gordon, what people weren't saying is, yes, he didn't have a great game, but I think the leadership that he brings there. So I think, look, if Nick White was available, he'd clearly be starting. But I think having Jake, you can't have a young Tate McDermott and young Noah Lilicio. <clears throat> uh, so Gordon... Gordon is very talkative on the field as well. If you ever watch his highlights and he's when he's mic'd up, he's very talkative in defence and attack, calling forwards out. So I think he he's there for that role as well. Look, we've only got that one change this week. We've got Taniela Tupo coming in with a rotation for for um, Ala Alatoa. I don't think that's uh, a swap just because of form. Apparently, Rennie was saying these two were always going to tag team and share the load. So this gives Taniela Tupo the chance to see if he can lock down that number three jersey. But look, Taniela definitely made a lot of impact last week. For me, that proved maybe that he's perfect as that bench spot, but I want to see him get this chance in, in that number three jersey. Well, the thing we know about Daniela is that he can play 80-minute games. Uh, we've seen him do it week in, week out for the Reds. And, yes, test match is a step up. But, to be honest, I don't think it's really going to phase him. And I, But I think I think what you've got to do is this is test He's not going to play 80, mate. I was going to say, mate, you're saying he's not going to play 80. So you're going to have to say, Nella, leave it all out there on the field, mate. You're coming off at 50 minutes. You know, give us one hell of a 50. So... Uh, it is exciting, but also I think just just the damage he did in the set pace when he came on was unbelievable. So yeah. starting with that, I think it's very simple. We we want to start better this week, and and how do we do that? We nail the set pace um, from the start, from the get go. So very simple solution uh, to otherwise keeping the team unchanged. I loved it. Yeah. 
Yeah, look, I'm touching on that, Gargi, I think you're saying we need to start better. Let's let's jump across into the Wallabies and what we need to improve on this week to, to get the win. I think that was one thing for mine. We already talked a little bit about Jake Gordon, but look, I, I think one thing is he really missed a beat on taking his chances um, to run with the ball. There was a, a high line speed from the French. Tate McDermott, as soon as he came on, he really highlighted that those spaces and those gaps were available there if you reacted quite quick. So I see Gordon to sort of try to bring that back into this match and then hopefully bring Valentini Wilson into the game a little bit earlier. But one thing, tell me if you guys agree, but there's been a lot of talk about Gordon, you know, a critique about him stepping sideways a few times before he passes the ball. I went back and had a, a bit of a watch for him for the Tars, for the Wallabies. And yes, look, I, I think is something he does. He moves laterally from the ruck, but I think he normally does that in a positive way. I think that's where he creates spaces for himself. He this basically... Whole t- ridiculous. This whole argument, Sorry, yeah. this whole argument <laughs> was ridiculous. All that happened was that one pass to no, Baisami went forward, and then that's when everyone started going, oh, if he just passed it off the deck, the pass would have been perfect. Jake Gordon takes two steps to commit the man. The only reason there was oh, a yeah. hole for that try was because of the fact that he took the man wrapping around. Well, the I, it's, it's yeah, positive. It's I, positive. I think I think normally he's moving laterally. Is it is a really positive thing and one of the real strengths in his game. I, I don't think it's a negative for him. I think the one negative wasn't that that he made that forward pass. You know, I think that was just a, a misjudgment. But he didn't seem to attack the line. It was a misjudgment. He passed the ball forward, Harry. Mate, the, the man that made a mistake there was Paisami. He and ran Butch- too early, and then therefore when the hole opened up, he was in front of the ball. Jake Gordon tried to get it to him and sadly threw it to him. He shouldn't have passed it, to him because he mistimed his run. It, it, it was black and white. It, no, it's not black and white, mate. It yeah, was so mistiming. What should Jake Gordon have done? Just pass it one step earlier and he was still so the on, But then he doesn't commit the man. The hole's not there. He didn't commit the man that created that gap. He cre- he committed the inside man that was not related to the tackle. So, no, I don't agree with you. Inside I, man, why the hole was there? Because he wasn't wrapping across. Look, I, I think if he passed that ball a step earlier, it was through. I'm talking positively in general. I reckon that was a mistake a little bit by Gordon's timing. And, yes, maybe it was the fact that they I haven't played a lot. That, well, that's because you're an idiot. They haven't played a lot. Regardless of that ball being forward, man, how good was that line by Paisa? I mean, I wish that was a try. It was, look, it was a step early. Sadly, it was a step early. Yeah. It's easy to look, blame it, the passer, but the passer is the one that has to commit the man and put the ball through the hole. Either way, I agree. Gordon normally commits the man with his run, and that was the whole point of what I was discussing here, Harry. That timing wasn't right, but it is the best part of his game is him moving laterally. It is not a passive lateral move because he can't make a pass. I think it is is a very good lateral move because it is sucking a defender in. And normally when he creates a gap, it's not just next to the ruck. It is it often is running around that first defender and, and slotting around through that, watching all these highlights is outside that first defender when he makes a lot of those breaks. So I think it's quite a positive thing, him generally moving sideways. There was a timing error. Sure, we we can disagree who it was from. But, it, I mean, realistically, if these guys played together often, it probably wouldn't have happened either. So maybe that's the biggest thing to highlight. So. I think it's pretty simple. I think we all know how Jake Gordon plays, and I, this is the first test match of the year. And I think yeah. it, is that, it is that step up to test match footy where you do have just that one less second, uh, you know, every breakdown. You just have a little bit less time and space. 
Yeah, I think he'll come out much better this week. I, I, I'd expect him to really fire in this one. He he didn't seem to attack off the ruck really at any opportunity in this game. Tate did it numerous times very quick into it. So I, I expect Gordon to come out a little bit more confident and, and actually attack a little bit more ball in hand. And I think that will create opportunities for players around him as well. And look, Tate, look, whilst I thought Tate was fantastic, uh, he did. He did come on at the end of the game with tired Frenchman when all of the was coming for the Wallabies. Do you know what I mean? Like that makes a hell of a difference when you're picking to make these little sniping runs and whatever. Um, but either yeah. way, Gordon can do that from the start of the game. I expect him to do more of that in this one. But I think it will open opportunities up for around him. It's, it's yeah. easier to do it against a tired defence, but Gordon yeah. will do it and normally does do it from the start of the game. Great. Now, we've spent way too long speaking about halfbacks because uh, the least important position in the game. Let's talk about the positions that matter, the uh, the forwards. Uh, Valentini, mate, I wanted to see some more, and this is what I think he needs, needs to improve in the Wallabies this week. We need some more Valentini. And I know it's a step up. It's test match footy. But I want to see him impose his physicality on the French team. I want to see him put some bums on the floor. Uh, and he also he just needs to be getting some better ball for uh, his carries, you know, every carry, he, every time he got the ball for a carry, he kind of got it, not necessarily on the back foot, but without very much time and space and usually running into like two blocks or props or something like that. So uh, I think, look, whilst you can't always determine um, how you, the ball you're getting on, on attack, what you can always determine as a player on the field is your opportunities in defence, right? You know, if, you're, if, if the, the game's not going your way, you can just get in there and smash someone. And uh, I want to see more of that from Bobby T- uh, from Bobby this weekend. We haven't heard him talk up the Wallabies being number one this week. So maybe he'll actually do some showing of it on, on the field. But, yeah, look, he, he had 13 runs, but he just wasn't that physical presence that we were all hoping for. Yeah. I'm with both of you. There's no excuse, really. His game is built on physicality. He didn't bring it. So... I hope we see more from him because he's had such a good year. Now, um, Nelson didn't want us to shit on him for the entire podcast, but Tommy Banks, uh, like just vibing off Harry's mood here. I don't know. Uh, I think Harry and I are on a fairly same uh, wavelengths here and Nelson trying to... I 100% am on the same wavelength. Uh, Nelson Nelson wants to be positive. I want to be honest. (laughs) Hey, look, I I wrote a couple... I wrote a couple of comments and a couple of posts saying, please never let Banks wear a jersey, Wallaby's jersey again after that match. And I think, that's I think that was, that's what I thought. Hold on. I thought we were doing good cop, bad cop, and you were good cop. I don't know. No, no, no. But I'm trying to be positive. Let the guy try to find his form. We're doing bad cop, bad like, cop, right? This is like yeah. the, the other guy's the movie where it's like, well, good honestly, bad. honestly, I think he is blessed at the moment that, there aren't other Wallabies that are in fifteen in the number fifteen jersey in Australia. So the, he, one, the one thing I would say is obviously the first, he made a lot of errors in this game, which was incredibly frustrating. But the first error he made, which kind of set the tone for his game, was him kicking to touch. And Jesus was a small margin. We we want him to back himself to kick yeah. up long penalties because how good has it been watching him do that for the Brumbies all year? So that one. Once I cooled down a little bit, I could kind of let slide because of the fact that I want him to back himself and I'd be more frustrated if he didn't have that exceptional penalty kicking game, kicking to touch. But uh, there was just too many errors, wasn't there? Really it, so yeah. it's, it's easy to forget how much we missed that. Do you remember when uh, Bernard Foley, the Iceman, just kind of when he cooled his jets a little bit uh, after a few really good years, 
And every time we got a penalty and we're kicking for touch, for some reason we were settling for like 20 metres. That's that, that was it every time. That's all we could expect in terms of territory. Yeah. And yeah. Having, having that weapon of banks, I agree with you. I'd rather him back himself because he's he can put it 50 metres down the field and that's huge. I, I, I agree with you in most part, I, but I think that is a pretty crucial miss. I think that had to go out. I think you, you've got to wear the consequence. You've got to wear the consequence. Do you want him to kick long for the penalty or not? I, Harry, I want that to go out. I want that to go out. I want it, like, I'm happy with him backing going long, but if he pulled that five metres short and it went out, it would have been a far better result for us. So you're saying you don't want him to back himself. Like, don't get me wrong. No one is perfectly accurate. You either have to back him to have a crack or you don't. Harry, uh, what I'm saying is I, I love him to back himself, but you also have to wear the consequences of butchering a pretty pivotal moment early in that game. How far out was he when he took that penalty, the kick to touch? 40 out or something, was he? He was a long way out. So let's yeah. be honest, if he was playing it safe, most people are kicking it around the 22, maybe 20 metres out. That's still not a gigantic attacking opportunity. He was it's better than them out. running the ball yeah. back. It's better than them running the ball back because it didn't go out. I'm not saying it's a positive. I'm just saying you need to, you need to actually wear the risk if you're going to allow him I, to back himself. I agree. The, the thing was that it, it continued to spiral throughout the, that match and that really was just the start of it, which is was unfortunate for him. But look, he has an absolute massive boot and we really want him to use it for sure. I think backing yourself when you're in your own 22 and, and trying to push that extra metre is also a little bit different than, you know, having such a pivotal thing go, go wrong early in the match. But look, it's a core skill for him. I really want to see the Wallabies using it more, using that boot from him, especially in their own 22. We never seem to to use it. Gordon was kicking all night and he, his radar was off and we didn't seem to use Banks in, in, in open play. So what I was going to say, what really were... He didn't have a great game and all I kind of remember is, as a whole, he didn't really have a great game. And I know he made a few errors, but what specifically, I guess, what did he do wrong? So, yes, okay, he, not, not kicking the touch... I know he dropped the ball maybe once or twice. He did out of the full outside his own 22, shanked a kick off the side of the foot. He uh, he dropped a, a long clearance kick as, as well as Noah Alessio. They both did that, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah I think so. He was now um, seen when they scored that second try. I mean, there's there's too many things, really. There was, there was a lot of things. Yeah, the, the first 20 of the game, the skill, the skill level execution, one thing I was really looking forward to with Coach David Reddy coming in and that he said was an absolute priority last year was just skills, just skill execution, and he was just going to drill at home. I mean, I, I don't know how – I keep getting excited every time something someone comes in and, and tries to ram home skills. When we had Mick Byrne join the Wallabies a couple of years ago, uh, who had been the All Blacks skill coach for about 10 years before that, I was super stoked. But I still don't know how – you know, you watch – yes, it's the Wallabies' first game, but you watch them come out and um, – and how the skill, like skill execution, is just not up to test match standard. I mean, you watch the. Uh, it's terrible that we're always comp- comparing ourselves to the All Blacks. Let's not do it. Uh, and, and even the All Blacks, you know, yes, they were playing Tonga last week when they played by a lot, whatever. But just the skill execution, the, the catching the pass of the ball out in front, the crossfield kicks and whatever, it's always absolutely bang on. Which is why they always capitalise on every opportunity, and it's we just don't. So I, I don't know. What, how else, what we need to do to, to get those skill levels up. But it's just there's too many unforced errors, frankly, for our test team. Yeah. Yeah, look, I, I mean, I, I think there was a lot of errors in that. I, I don't think you're wrong. 
yes, we can say that first test of the, the year and there was a bit of a gap since they played. The, the 9, 10, 12, 13 were all from different teams. None of that stuff helps, but really we, we want to see some better skill execution when, when that's been something that's been discussed again and again and again. But talk, yeah, sorry, talking I about... Gonna, I was just going to say, in rounding out banks, um, what, like, yeah, we've said we don't have any other 15s. What, who else would you play? I mean, for mine, you know, I would like to give Reese Hodge a go, but it's much of a much less. Yeah, Hodge has got a great boot. Hodge can offer some other things, but, you know, I, I don't know. Like, do, do we have anyone else we could play at 15? Look, I, I think at the moment we're, we're pretty limited. There's there's not a lot of options there. I'd love to see Isaac Lucas brought back into Australia just so we have another name that can be thrown out there because he is shown he's quite a talented player. Yes, he's he's still probably 22, a young player coming through. Reese Hodge, um, he's not an out-and-out fullback. He's, got, he's, a, he's a safe fullback. So he's there in case something goes wrong and we need to put someone else there. But, I mean, although I was so frustrated last week with Banks, he's actually frustrated me for a number of years. Maybe it's because he has some real high highs and he has some real, you know, poor poor matches as well. So I just hope that he gets back now in, in these next two tests and gets a good chance to, to find some form because if he doesn't after this series, I'd be looking for someone else. Fair enough. All right. Um, moving on, what, uh, what else are we going to talk about? Where else can the Wallabies improve? Um, I, I thought, you know, we... we identified, wind out of the sales, boys. We, yeah, we identified before the game that the short kicking game was going to be really important. And I think Noah Alessio and Hunter Paisami definitely came in with a tactic that they were going to have a crack at that. So that was really good to see that Rennie had identified that and had built a game around that as well. And I thought there was a lot of really, really good moments where they they put some attacking kicks in behind and had a crack. Um, I think the accuracy really needs to improve. There were probably two out of five of them would have been really good. Three out of five of them left a lot to be desired. So I, I think that's an area where just accuracy needs to improve. But uh, again, they're kind of those positive areas where, I was pretty happy for Paisami to kick most of them. There was one where he put a cross kick in when it was about an eight on two on the right hand yeah. side. I don't know why he kicked that. So yeah, they, decision making there. That's they, a problem. Was that they the had an advantage away? at that point, did they not? No. Did, was no, that over Kellaway? Yeah, it was. And it went over, over Kellaway. Look, I mean, if they went to hand, it looked brilliant, but they really did have an overlap there, you know, and, and for me that's a yeah, it was. It was wasn't necessarily the right decision. If it was, if it was a good kick, I mean, you could say it was the right decision. But realistically, I think it is all about execution. It's not about kicking less. It's about executing those kicks. That you know, if if that execution was on, we had two more tries. That one you said about Kellaway, and that one with with Wright as well, who couldn't put that ball down. What an unlucky, just, what an unlucky bounce! Seriously, yeah. I think I think we've all taken the right attitude with that. I'm I'm happy for Paisami to be adding this to his game. Uh, you know, we've talked about Paisami's at the very start of his career. And, you know, uh, you can look at some great players like Ma Nonu, who started off in similar roles to Paisami, an excellent runner of the ball, very physical and whatnot, and slowly added layers and layers to his game, added ball playing, adding a, added a kicking game and whatnot. And by the end, we know the complete player that was Ma Nonu. Paisami's trying to put all these eggs in one basket very, very quickly. Uh, you know, he had he's come off the scene in two years, been absolutely the hitman, 
making these awesome runs. Like we saw that that try he almost scored last week with that mm. awesome try. Uh, and he has, like for the Reds, we've seen him add some ball playing, uh, particularly with all the injuries in their back line. And this kicking game is slowly starting to eventuate. So I agree. And I think Rennie has, has told him, I don't, want, uh, I don't want Hunter to stop trying these kicks because we know he can do them. It's just he's just got to develop them. And, um, yeah, they are, you know, hopefully – they start coming off very soon. So, uh, can I say the one exception mm. with a minute and a half to go? Can we not put multiple kicks in behind the line? <laughs> I, I agree. Moronic. Hunter Pace Army just decided the only way they were going to score is with a short kicking game. That is one area where I just thought, man, it, we, we need a for me. Run. Yeah, for me, it's. For me, it seemed like a little bit of a brain fade and they've just gone, if we can kick this back into their 22, they'll try and clear it out. If we put pressure on, we've got we've got the ball a little bit closer, but just play the ball. <laughs> you know, like you don't need to try to gain 10 metres on the hope that, you you know, you kick it to them and they make a bad kick. Literally, it's not high odds for me. You need to hold that ball and, and try to do something with it. Yeah. Oh, great. Um, all right. Defence, uh, improving defence. We I don't know if we touched on that a lot, but... Um, for mine, I talked about Bobby Valentini. I want to see him in, with some physicality. Likewise, the rest of the team. The, the French, as we, as Nelson discussed, absolute line speed, and that's partially why our kicking game was there to, to get over that because uh, they were cutting out the outside. I want to see some more line speed from the Wallabies. Again, spoke about in last week's podcast when they came out in the first test of last year against New Zealand and absolutely gave it to them. They got off the line like they were 100-metre sprinters. Uh, Harry Wilson... Tupo, all the boys out there absolutely hitting people. I'm really hoping that Tupo starting, uh, but I want to see Tupo, Harry Wilson, and I want to see Valentini getting up there. And Tupo, mate. Like, that's like to put a hit on. Particularly, look, uh, Harry, Wilson, Harry Wilson has made it his mission to target uh, Bone Baron Richie Moanga in, in last year. And, and what we actually saw, there was a clear game, one of the Bledisloe games, where after hitting Richie Moanga enough, he, they had gotten into his head. They, they had, he, he was taking, instead of taking that extra forward step, he was taking another sideways step and he was bringing the whole back line back a little bit. Uh, the very small, you know, uh, perceivable change that that makes getting in the head of the 10 actually makes a huge difference. So Louis, Louis Carbonell, yes, he's a very overconfident, very confident uh, young 10, but um, mate, get in there and absolutely ruffle his feathers and remove some of that time and space and that French attack is going to fall apart, I think. So that's what I want to be saying. Some line speed. It's, it's, it's a fantastic call. And we also mentioned the fact that last week we were saying how many hitmen this Australian team does have in defence. So I, I don't, we need to give him a licence to go out and intimidate. You know, we, we've talked, Rennie's talked about the fact that he wants to be physical. Well, let's let them go and do that. Put it on Valentini, Wilson, Hooper, Paisami, Tuamua. These guys all want to put hits on. Just allow them. Give them the cotton betty. Like all these guys shoot out of the line and smoke people. Let's just say free for all, who can put the biggest hit on wins? It, you know what? It should be like, this reminds me, great video from a friend of the pod and has been on the pod, Squidge Rugby, uh, talking about the role of Peter Steph Dutoy in the <laughs> Rugby World Cup in 2019 uh, and just literally analysing him. Peter Steph was given that exact role, free to roam and to pick people out and absolutely crunch them. He was just a nightmare in the back of every 10 and every 10's mind, most of the players' mind, really. Um, but they gave him that opportunity by covering the rest of the defensive line. So if you shoot out, you're not leaving someone else at risk. They need the boys to have that. You need to have a player. Yeah, I agree. Have a crack. 
Look, let's let's jump across what needs to change for France. Uh, I mean, we've we've touched on it a bit. There's there's been five changes to this French pack. Um, I think Wallaby, Wallabies had a bit of an ascendancy in the scrum, which was made even more evident as soon as Taniela Tupo came on. Start say we only won one scrum against the you know the the feed, but for me, I, I think we were we were clearly dominant in the scrum. We we stole a couple of their lineouts as well, including that pressure on that that final lineout. So for me, one of the big things for France are they just really need to to solidify that set piece. I, I mean, at times our lineout. We had a really solid driving more at times and, and other times we won the line out and, and couldn't really do much with it as well. And, and I think it's similar to France. They they really just need to make it a bit more of a weapon for them, make sure they can back themselves, kick the ball out, win their own line out or back themselves with a scrum. Um, do, do you guys agree with that? I agree. And I will say, I haven't given him a shout out yet, but um, Slipper did an absolute job on Demba Bumba last week. Uh, he was absolutely frustrating him. And I think he got a little bit unlucky, Slipper, in a few um, a few times. I think we should have won some penalties. He really got got into him early. So, um, but agreed. Uh, yeah, a set piece. Probably France probably really needs to step up in that regard. I can't remember exactly how we went in the lineouts head to head, but um, yeah, we. I can I can tell you right now. They they won eleven of thirteen. We won fifteen of seventeen. Okay, well that's I mean that's pretty good, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's my my gold colour glasses. I thought we were the dominant side in the lineout, but I think that's an area they need to attack we were. more. I, I I don't think that the scrum is going to be able to make up enough distance against what I think is a real strength for us. But the lineout's been a weakness for us. So I think if they can pressure us there, that's a real area that they can make an advantage for them. And I think that's probably one of the reasons we've seen them pick such a a, a team that is so good in the air. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're directly telling us what they're going to do, aren't they? They're like, here's four massive locks. We've yeah. got to win every line. <laughs> I mean, it's, you've got back rowers that can jump and four locks, and we've got a hooker that notoriously isn't a solid line-out thrower. I think they're going to put some some real pressure on him, so it's going to be a big one for, for Brendan Payne Gramosa. I, I think the other thing is for the French, they just need to work out how to get some field position. Like they were piggybacked down the field by us in the first 20 minutes. And as yeah. we said, they got no field position for the rest of the game beyond that early kind of flurry that they had. They need to find a way to get into this game. Their defense is solid. Their line, and I think can be dominant for them, but how do they make their way down the field, which isn't just us handing it to them that, that I don't know if they've got a really good idea about it. And I think, Probably one of the, the things that we all want to see is how they can get some of their strike power in their back line into the game. Damien Penal, I, 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 Penaud? Penaud. Penaud. It's actually just Sorry. Um, I, I, I think if they can get him injected into the game, maybe that's a way that they can get a little bit more attacking flair and create a little bit more of opportunity of an opportunity to score some more points. He scored three tries in this year's Six Nations. He made the most line breaks, having had made five in the French side as well. He is an attacking weapon. We've talked about the fact that he's very, very highly rated in world rugby, let alone in the French side. Hey, what, they what need to find a way to get him into the game. The yeah, it's horrible. Don't say it again, mate. Don't don't make yourself look silly too much. No, he's the French Nawanganitawasi. Yeah. No, agreed. I think I think we talk about um it's interesting. We didn't really have the line speed, but the French did struggle to get it out wide and create that space, didn't they? So they need to find a way to do that. They do have the exciting, you know, Jaminet and uh Pinot, but um yep. they've got to get the ball there. Well they yeah. I, 
I, I think they're physical as well, right? Like they, they scored that first try by um, by Jalanche just getting through and getting his hands free and offloading the ball. They've still got a big pack. They've still got six forwards on the bench. I think that's got to be a, a real strength for them again. I thought they were probably dominant in periods in the ruck and slowing down our ball as well. If they can get quick, <coughs> get their big forwards over the line and getting their hands free, it, it is an Australian side that will struggle to cover that kind of quick ball they, they don't really cover themselves that well when someone breaks the line. So I think that that's a real area for them as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they've got some bigger bodies in Dante in the centres. Use some of those guys in tight and then quick ball, offloads, look look real wide. I think that's what they need to do. Have someone on your hip. They're, they're playing French, uh, Fiji-style rugby early on that one. So it'll be interesting to see how they go. Yeah. Excellent. Should we... Get to our tips now. Should we round it out? And um, we, we talked about our tips earlier for game see how, how we're feeling about game two. We've swapped up the order this week. Harry, mate, why don't you kick us off? What are you tipping the score for this game? You can just say, you know, what who's going to win by what, or you can say exactly what the score is again if we're going to go specific. 16 points to the Wallabies. Win. That's a big win. Yeah, 32 to 16. Well, how's that? Look... I'm going to say <laughs> 10 points to the Wallabies, 33-23. Oh, mate, 33-23, exact same score as the last time. But I'll be right this time. You guys have left me in the precarious... Uh, mate, just be reasonable and say less. Me and Harry are just clearly not paying attention to what happened last week. What do you mean, mate? The Friends have got a whole new pack. The Wallabies got some continuity. We were dominant more and more as the game went on. This is... This is an opportunity for the Wallabies here. Look, despite, I agree. I agree. This. Despite me wanting to go big, I'm going to say the Wallabies are going to win this game by 14 points, two tries. That's still pretty big, that's, mate. That's pretty big, mate. How big are you <laughs> wanting to go? Well, sorry, when yeah. I say me wanting to go big, it means me wanting to go bigger than Harry. But um, no, uh, I'm going to say two tries, Wallabies. Uh, yeah, let's go oh, 28 to 14. All right. Good. Beauty. Uh, all right. Well, look, that will round out the main course, uh, which will mean that it's time for the d- 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 deserto. Deserto. Beautiful, mate. Uh, look, very, very quickly, we're not going to do a big dessert, but I, I did just put up on Twitter just before we came in that uh, we were going to be doing the podcast. And uh, Mitch Evans has reached out and said he's very excited for the back-to-back big boppers that both sides have at tight head, especially with Taniela Tupo starting. Which players do you want to see brought in for some game time in the third test, assuming the Wallabies win the second? Good question. Yeah, look, I'm happy to start off. Um, I I think James O'Connor almost being ready this week. I I think we'll see him next week with... um, Harry, Harry's got one that he wants to say, I'll let him say. But look, James O'Connor with Tate McDermott will be exciting. Um, by all reports, I don't I don't think Paisami, uh, Parisi is going to be good. So hopefully we'll see Lenny Ikatao come in. Hopefully we see Fraser McWright getting a start at the number seven jersey as well. How could you? How could you? Um, yeah, no, Nelson saying that Harry can't wait to say his name because he's written it down, but Harry knew better and so wrote uh, my name in brackets. I would love to see the big Pone, Pone Fa'a Masili, come in, 
get that cap uh, for the Wallabies uh, and be on the bench in a tight head jersey. The absolute dream team, just two butters start, Pone on the bench, just that'd be great. And for mine, with another player, Trevor Hosea. Um, I think we talk, I was talking with Harry before we kicked off this pod tonight saying um, a lot was made of Darcy Swain's debut last week. Uh, I think certainly, look, he was pivotal in um, pressuring the line out for us to turn over the ball there in the end. But, um, and look, I think as far as debuts go, it was, uh, you know, it was good. But uh, I, I wasn't as overly excited as it seems like a lot of the Wallabies fans were. Uh, whereas for my Trevor Jose is someone who I see developing into a fantastic uh, young lock. So I'd hope to see him get a chance. And I think he's in the squad and available. So I was going to say, he's not in the squad, is he? And I saw him sitting there on the uh, in the Wallabies gear on the sideline. So um, okay. he's, he's with the boys. So, yeah, I'd love to see him get a shot. I think for me, number one, uh, if, if Valentini particularly doesn't have a really big impact, I'd love to see the New South Wales jerk, Lockie Swinton, get a crack. Uh, he was obviously epic before he decided to get red carded and ruin the Wallabies game against the All Blacks last year. So I would just like to see him let loose. Uh, it's entertaining, if nothing else. And if we want to intimidate their young players, he's probably the man to do it. So he's well, definitely one. I would like to say I just just I, it's thrilling watching him smoke people and uh, Felipe Aldongunu as well. How exciting is he when he gets some ball? So we've obviously got to start planning for no Corombetti uh, next year. Obviously, Vonavalu is still waiting in the wings, recovering from his hammy injury. But Aldongunu oh, yeah. is still fantastic to watch. So I would love to see him get a run. Look, whilst next year you'll be able to just put Vunavalu's name in permanent marker in that 14, uh, 11 or 14 jersey, it'll be fine. Um, no, I think very excited with Dunguna. Uh, I'll never forget the quote uh, last year that Rennie brought up, which was, you know, he can beat you in a phone booth um, and just fantastic. So, yeah, he'd be exciting to come in. Uh, I agree with you. Swinton, look, I think Swinto might want to go for a, um, you know, setting a new world rugby record of just like 100% card to, to test cap ratio. So if he comes in and he's got an opportunity to back it up, that would be good. He's a good shout. I'd, I'd love to see him come into that final test and just try and run on him. But otherwise, yeah, look, James O'Connor, Fraser McBride, I think... Um, I think that's probably anyone else we can think of at the top of our heads. Can I just say that if Lockie Swinton got, gets picked for the Wallabies and doesn't want to take someone's head off, I don't want to see him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> He's got no, a lot of good sound. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. Look, I, I mean, there's there's other ones that I know. I don't think he's back at any point soon, but gosh, I'm excited to see Vinavalu at some point as well. Thank you. Good. We can say his name as many times as we want. but um... yeah, and, and Parisi. Let's just say their names a couple of times. Yes. Um, it is Mitch Evans asking, so should we name a few more Reds players? We've named a few. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's all he wanted, really. But, uh, um, what's his name, the the other lock, the Fijian lock, slash number eight? Uh, get him up there, too. Get him a start. And Liam Wright's not currently in the squad, is he? So we can't... Uh, oh, man, he needs to be in that third game. He's how good is he? Yeah. No, James O'Connor, surely he plays 60 or 70 minutes next week. Yeah. yeah, and how good is having all this footy? I don't know. I was talking to Harry. I don't think Harry watched as much as I did on the weekend. But um, that Fiji All Blacks game, mate, that was fantastic. Watching Fiji absolutely belt the Kiwis yes. first half. Dominant, dominant in the breakdown. It's not something you expect from Fiji v the All Blacks, but they right. were. Nels, you must have been frothing on Johnny Dyer. That was an incredible performance, mate. So so good to watch. And then also, I wanted to give a shout out. Harry didn't watch. I don't know if you did, Nels. The Samoa and Tonga game. Um, or some of it, yeah. 
There's some fantastic footy from Samoa there, but Henry Typhoo came out and had an absolute screamer. Uh, Harry, I don't know if you know, but he um, he kicks uh, for goal as well. Yeah, wow. Plotting them from the sideline perfectly. Like, he, Mate, it's, it's a West, it was a Western Force slash Rebel centre pairing with Stacey Ely and Typhoo in the centres. And they, they look better than they ever have at Super Rugby level. I don't know if it's something about wearing a you know the, the Samoan jersey, but Taifu looked very good for me. And look, I know we should round out the pod. Uh, the only last thing I want to end it on. Before is- you do, no, no, hold on, hold on. You were talking about the Western Force. Who did Argentina play during the week on the weekends? Uh, Wales. Yeah. Wales, yeah, yeah. How about Domingo Miotti? We were blowing up, saying that he threw the game. He didn't care when he played for the Western Force when he decided to miss a penalty to win the game against one of the Kiwi sides. Well, I can confirm he's just a bad kicker under pressure because he had a kick to put them ahead against Wales in the 73rd minute and he missed that one as well. So, But let's be honest. You see that he didn't do it on purpose for Western Force. Let's be honest, there was a red card for Argentina, which should not have been a red card. It was, I'm pretty sure it was a head clash. Head clash. And they red carded the bloke. How about well, while we're going around the grounds, how about that English knee to the head? That was only a yellow card. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, did the England, did the English get yellow red cards? Is that a rule? Different different rules apply to England. Is that what you wrote, wrote out there? Seriously, ridiculous. Yeah. Absolutely ridiculous. Please, we're we're definitely um, going on a tangent. Is there anything else we wanted to touch on for the Wallabies in the rest of this series, or, or what we expect to see this week, this well tomorrow? Um. Nah, not, not really. Just the boys. Wallabies, Wallabies by 16, did I say? Whatever I said. Well, look, yeah. the, the last point and the only time you will ever hear me make a comment about soccer on this podcast, whilst we're shitting on England, uh, it's coming Roma, not Homer. I loved that, waking up to that this morning. So, um, Mate, the, the, all I did was watch those, like, you know, Twitter afterwards and just go, Far out, rugby is a way better sport. Because watching afterwards, not only were the English abusing every one of their players that weren't white, which is ridiculous from England, but they were just beating the living daylight out of the Italian fans. Like, that is such a bad look look for soccer. Just literally they were lined up out the front of the stadium and as the Italian fans were leaving, they were decking them, kicking them on the floor, throwing bottles at them. They decked an English bloke when he had his kids next to him and just knocked them out and the kids ran away scared. That was an absolute horrible thing to see and it is a really bad look for soccer and a really bad look for England and that's two things I love to hear. Bit of a contrast to the Rugby World Cup, but look, I, I said I wanted to make one throw remark talking about soccer. That's the longest we're ever going to talk about it. That's the most <laughs> time for ever saying that again on this podcast. But any opportunity shit on England, boys. Congratulations. Hold on. Congratulations, Ash Barty, Dylan Allcourt. Yeah, how good. Champions. And Bam Bam, if you were watching the UFC, Bam Bam, half Indigenous, half Samoan, did about 14 shoeys on his way out after winning his fight in the last oh, <laughs> He was trying to get everyone to do it. It was great. But also the, the confidence that Hardy came in there with the ex-NFL player thought he was going to beat him. <laughs> oh, he got sat down. That was great to watch. But you know, I think we've covered all the sports from the weekend now. <laughs> um, that's what I did in, in lockdown here in Sydney. And uh, That's all we can do, mate. We're we're in for a long haul in lockdown. I don't know what it's like everywhere else overseas. It's been pretty bad the whole time, but it's just like it's, it's starting for us now. That's it. But, boys, right. great pod. Looking forward to Wallaby's test tomorrow night. Um, the boys will get it done just by how much we'll see. And uh, we'll catch you again next week to discuss the third test. How good?
Well, mate, we might be talking to them before next week. It's only four days away after after tomorrow. Just testing, I was just testing. Hey, if you guys, we're on the board. <laughs>